Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Hill City Church in Springfield, Missouri. We are a community of believers who exist to glorify God by making disciples who bring gospel restoration to our city and world. For more information about Hill City or to support our ministry, you can find us online at hillcitysgf.org. Good morning. Um, so uh, this weekend has been a big weekend for me. Um, as many of you know, the Missouri State Bears football team went up to Columbia yesterday and took on the Mizzou Tigers, right? So, uh, so yeah, so it was a lot of fun. Um, my wife and I actually graduated from Mizzou, uh, not to get like booze or anything, <laughs> but, but we graduated from Mizzou, actually lived 11 years in Columbia, so we're actually really big uh, Tiger fans. Um, sorry, but it, it, it's gonna get better. Um, three years ago, we moved to Springfield, and I became one of the team physicians for the Missouri State Bears. And since that time, over the last three years, we've become bears, like through and through bears. Um, so, so this was a lot of fun to go up to Columbia and see our two teams kind of battle it out yesterday. And I would say the bears put up a pretty good fight. I don't know if you guys saw it, but it was, it was pretty cool. Um, what made this trip even more special for us is that we got to take our two oldest kids with us um, on the trip. So here they are, clearly bared out. Um, they didn't have sunglasses, so we had to buy them Mizzou sunglasses. But other than that, they were totally bears. Um, but yeah, so it was a lot of fun to take them up. Um, we have a lot of memories in Columbia, so we got kind of, we were able to relive those memories or kind of share those memories with our kids, and it made it a real special time. Um, and it was a good opportunity for me to kind of dad out a little bit. I don't know if you guys do this at all, but like, hey, that's, uh, this, this is Mizzou football. Those are the columns. Uh, that's where we went to school. And my kids got to be like, okay, dad, we get it, enough. Um, but it was a lot of fun. Um, and I'm excited today to share with you guys. And we're going to look at a dad going on a family trip with his son. Um, but this is going to be a very different kind of family trip. So, to catch us up on where we are in this series, last week, Daniel introduced us to Abraham, and we met a flawed and middle-aged Abraham, okay? At the ripe old age of 75, Abraham received a promise from God. God promised Abraham that he would give him a son, and that through this son, the whole world would be blessed. So Abraham was excited about this. I mean, he was 75 years old, had no children, and then God promises him a son. So he's pumped. But this promise did not come true right away. Abraham had to wait. It wasn't until after 25 years of waiting that this promise finally came true. And we, we pick it up here in Genesis 21, the fulfillment of this promise. In uh, Genesis 21, in verse 2, it says, And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age. So if you're doing the math, let's see, how old is Abraham? So Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. So again, this, this is huge. You know, Abraham is a hundred, Sarah is ninety, and they have a baby. So if, if Abraham was excited when he first received this promise, 
from God, imagine how excited he was when this promise came true. Like this baby is born. Um, I imagine it's like high fives all around. Maybe like Abraham does a little Lion King moment here and like thrusts Isaac into the air um, and everyone gathers around and cheers. Um, we have like a drum beat and it fades to black. Um, but of course, and then it's like everyone lives happily ever after. But of course, this is actually just the beginning of the story. Um, we're in Genesis, the first book of the Bible, and we're not even halfway through Genesis yet. So, but this sets the stage for where we're going to spend most of our time today. Um, we're going to be in Genesis 22. Genesis 22 says, after these things, again, high fives all around, Abraham thrusts Isaac into the air, everyone is happy. Uh, after these things, God tested Abraham. Uh-oh. Here we go. And God said to Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham said, here I am. And God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Take your son and offer him as a burnt offering. Again, this is a very different type of family trip that we're talking about here. And God doesn't pull any punches here as he gives Abraham this command. He says, take your son, you know, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. You know, the one you waited 25 years for, um, you know, the miracle baby, the one that links me, links all my promises to you, take him and kill him. And now, um, just to help us imagine this a little bit, um, Isaac is thought to be around 15 years old here, which would make Abraham, if my math is right, 115 years old. Um, and so this miracle boy is growing into a man, and God asks Abraham to kill him. So, but we are let in on a little secret here that Abraham doesn't know. Verse 1 says, God tested Abraham. So this is actually not going to be a child sacrifice story. But again, Abraham doesn't know that yet. As far as Abraham knows, this is a command. It says God commanded Abraham, as far as he knows. But still, even for us, knowing this is a test, we have to wonder, like, why? Why would God ask Abraham to do this? Well, let's process this a little bit. So this is a test. So what, what is the purpose of a test? A test gives us information. Or another way to look at it is a test gives us outward evidence of a deeper or a hidden reality. So for example, a pregnancy test. Um, you pee on a stick, um, and then something happens, you know? So two lines, you're pregnant. One line, not pregnant, right? For my family, we have, we've seen this one four times now. <laughs> so we're, we're very familiar with this one. Um, so the stick is this outward evidence 
of a much deeper reality, right, of pregnancy. Or in my world, uh, like Daniel said, so I work with athletes. And so they hurt themselves. And they want to know, you know, is this something bad? Or am I going to be OK? You know, is, is my bone broken? Is my ACL torn? What's up, doc? What's going on? And so I say, OK, let's get an MRI. So that MRI is outward evidence of this deeper reality of an injury. And so let's go back to Abraham. So what, what is the test for Abraham? So God gives Abraham a command, right? He says, kill your son. So the outward evidence is pretty straightforward. You know, either Abraham will kill Isaac or he won't kill Isaac. Um, but what is the deeper reality? What is God trying to uncover here? So Proverbs 17.3 says, the Lord tests the heart. So God is using this command to get to the deeper reality of Abraham's heart. You know, what, what does Abraham really believe about God? Does he really trust God? Does he really love God even more than his son and even more than the promises God has given him? So God is after Abraham's heart. And God is after our heart. And so why? Why is God after our heart? Proverbs 4.23 says, from the heart flow the springs of life. So God is after our heart because God knows all of life starts in and flows out of the heart. Everything we believe, everything we love, starts in the heart. So what does this look like in our lives? I've heard someone explain it like this. So um, we enter life and imagine that we have two empty hands. So, um, and then as we go through life, God fills our lives with blessings. So, you know, first we're born, and so that is the blessing, life, we live. And then maybe, uh, you know, a mom and a dad, maybe siblings, friends. And then as we get older, uh, God gives us more good things. So maybe um, an education or a job, maybe a spouse, maybe kids, um, maybe more friends, church. Uh, God is filling our lives with good things, filling our lives with blessings. Meanwhile, in the midst of all these blessings, God is reaching out to us. And he wants to take us by the hand and walk through life with us. But when he does that, when he reaches out that hand, is he going to be able to take our hand? Or will our hands be too full? Will, will our hands be full of these blessings? Are we clutching on to these blessings? So the question is, you know, will I cling to my blessings? Or will I cling to God? Or another way to think of it is, Am I going to trust and treasure what I see around me? Or am I going to trust and treasure God? Who do I trust? What do I treasure? So this is what God is after with us in our hearts. And it's what God was after with Abraham. So we are about to embark on a journey 
with Abraham. And let's see how Abraham responds. We'll pick it up in verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning. Have you ever had one of those mornings where the alarm clock goes off and it's like the last thing you wanted to hear? That is Abraham right here. But he gets himself up and what does he do? He saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And I imagine this has got to be the heaviest this saddle has ever felt as he picks it up and heaves it on top of this donkey. And then he says, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. And again, now the axe. This has got to be the heaviest this axe has ever felt. He's prepared a sacrifice probably more times than he can count, but this time is very different. Each time this axe comes down on the wood, he's got to feel it because he knows what it represents. Verse 4, on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. So now it gets real. You know, Abraham's on this journey, and he actually sees the mountain in the distance. And and I just have to wonder, like, what was this three-day journey like? Like, he is marching to this mountain to sacrifice his son, and the whole time, He is walking side by side with his son. And he's got to be wrestling with this in his heart. Like, man, do I really trust God in this? Like, do I really treasure God? Do I really love God more than my son? And even beyond the heart struggle, he's got to be like processing this in his mind too. Like, God, this is confusing. Like, like you promised me a son and you gave me a son. And then you promised to bless the whole world through my son. And now you're asking me to kill my son. It, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So, so what is Abraham going to do? Verse 5. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. So... Again, I don't think Abraham really understands how this is going to work, but it looks like he is trusting God here. So it looks like he's working it out that he and Isaac are going to go up the mountain. He is going to sacrifice Isaac, and then he and Isaac are going to come back down the mountain. Again, he doesn't really know how that's going to happen, but it looks like that's what he's saying right here. Hebrews gives us a little glimpse into what he's thinking. In Hebrews 11, it says this, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, considered that God was able even to raise Isaac from the dead. So Abraham is reasoning, you know, if God can create the whole universe and give life to every living thing, And if God can give Abraham a son when it's humanly impossible, then that God can do whatever he wants. And that might even include raising Isaac from the dead. Maybe. Let's find out. So in verse 6, it says, And Abraham took the wood and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire 
and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. So Abraham puts the wood on his son Isaac, and Isaac carries the wood up this mountain. Abraham takes the fire and the knife, and this father and son go up this mountain together. Verse 7. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And Abraham said, here I am, my son. And Isaac said, behold, I love that. Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Like Isaac's starting to pick up on something here. Maybe he's getting a little nervous. You know, we, we've got the fire, we've got the wood, but uh, where's the lamb? Uh, and, uh, and he says, behold, I, I can see him like saying like, dad, look around, you know, we're missing something here. It, you know, kind of the most important thing for the sacrifice, the lamb, the, the thing we sacrifice. And Abraham, I gotta, I gotta think Abraham had to know this question was coming at some point, marching along, getting ready to do a sacrifice and no lamb. Um, so let's see, let's see how he responds. Verse eight. Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. So Abraham stays the course here. Um, he's committed. And this father and son journey on, and now we get to the point where they're actually ready to prepare this sacrifice. So verse 9, when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him up on the altar on top of the wood. And then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. So picture this. I mean, everything slows down right here. We have Abraham, you know, sweat on his brow, journey complete, and now he has to prepare the sacrifice. He gets everything in order. He lays out the wood, and then somehow he binds his son, his only son, who he loves, and he places his son up on the altar. Then he goes for the knife. You know, hands probably trembling, palms sweaty, probably moving as slowly as he can, like something's got to happen here. What's going to happen? And let's see what happens. Verse 11. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham said, here I am. And I imagine Abraham like crumbling, like I've been waiting three days for this, or at least like a huge sigh of relief as he like falls down. And the angel said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. He says, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son. And the word fear, fear here is not like a trembling, like cowering type of fear. It's actually more of a word uh, that expresses devotion. So it's like saying, I know you're devoted to me. I know 
that you trust me. I know that you treasure me. Verse 13, and Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a very different behold this time. Behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. Whew. So that, so that is a little bit of a journey. And after all that, God provided the lamb. God provided the lamb. So as we reflect on this story, I want us to kind of think about a question. Who was this test for? Was this a test for God, to prove something to God, or was this a test for Abraham? I think it's fair to say that God knew Abraham's heart even before this test. Hebrews 4.13 says, nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed, including Abraham's heart and our hearts. So God knew Abraham's heart. This test was for Abraham. And God knew Abraham needed this test. Abraham had had his ups and downs, and he needed to see that he could trust and treasure God. So God took him on this journey. And this journey served as evidence of a deeper reality for Abraham. God will provide. For all Abraham will ever need, he can trust and treasure that God will provide. Through this, that has become more real to him than ever before. So, for me, a few months ago, my family and I kind of got started on a little um, testing journey of sorts. Um, it was, I don't know if you guys remember this, but late in April, we got a lot of rain. Um, so on, uh, it was actually April 29th, I was out running some errands, and I got a text from my wife. Um, and she said, the text said something like, there's water leaking into the basement. So I, that was not what I wanted to hear. <laughs> so I, uh, I rushed home, and we, we kind of assessed the situation. And we noticed that this, this was not good, because there was water coming into our basement from all directions, and it was still raining. And it didn't look like the rain was going to stop anytime soon. So we kind of huddled up, and we got a game plan. So how are we going to attack this? What are we going to do? Um, we got a couple shop vacs, and we went to town. We started sucking up this water as fast as we could. Um, and my wife actually stayed up until 4 o'clock in the morning sucking up this water while I slept comfortably <laughs> upstairs <laughs> away from the situation. Um, but she was working hard, and I'm really thankful for her. Uh, but it was really all for naught, because our basement completely, completely flooded, and we started on this test. Um, and we, we were frustrated, we were confused, we're like, why is this happening? 
We had just moved into this house, I think it was four or five months before this, got everything set up, got it just how we wanted it, and then boom, it floods. And we're like, what? We had just started hosting Citigroup, and we thought like we had really good plans for this house. Um, and so we're confused, and we're asking, you know, like, why is this happening? But then there are these deeper questions, you know, like, who will we trust? What will we treasure? And I would love to stand up here and say, like, man, this was awesome. This, we passed, flying colors. Uh, this was a walk in the park. We just trusted and we treasured, and it was wonderful. Um, but that, that's just not the way it was. Um, there were some days, you know, we were trusting. Um, and then other days, it was more just like frustrating and confusing. Um, but I think that's how God works a lot of times. Um, and that's how God was working in us. Um, you know, not perfectly, not all at once, but kind of one step at a time. And maybe sometimes two steps forward and one step back. But he was kind of teaching us and working in our hearts to trust him treasure him, even in the midst of something we didn't understand. James 1.3 says, the testing of your faith develops perseverance. So God took Abraham through a test, and it trained him. It developed him, and it developed perseverance to trust and treasure God. And God does the same thing with us when we face tests and we go on these journeys. I think Hebrews 12 actually gives us a really good picture of what this looks like in our lives. It says, let us throw off everything that hinders. Everything in our lives that wants to compete for that place that is really God's place, throw it off. The sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us run, test after test, journey after journey, every day learning more and more to trust and treasure God. But you might think like me, you know, well, I'm not like a spiritual superstar or anything. You know, I'm no, I'm no Abraham. I'm just like a normal human being. Like, how do I do this? Well, Hebrews goes on, and it says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Behold Jesus. Jesus is the author. He starts this work in our hearts. Jesus is the perfecter. He continues this work in our hearts. So what do we do? Just throw off everything else. Um, an old hymn puts it this way, simply to the cross I cling. You know, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. So let's look back um, at the last words of Abraham in this passage. He says, the Lord will provide. And I love that. He, he doesn't say, you know, the Lord provided. Look, the Lord provided. This is great. No, he says, the Lord will provide. And why does he say that? He, because this story, I mean, it's a great story, but it points 
to an even greater story. 2,000 years after this journey, another father took his son on a journey. And this father took his son to a mountain, and he laid wood on him. And this son carried that wood to the top of a mountain. And when this son got to the top of the mountain, he was bound, and he was laid upon the wood. And he willingly died on a cross, laying down his life for us, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So if you find yourself like on a journey, or if you find yourself in a test, know this, God is with you. And God loves you so much that he wants you to see your heart. He wants to show you your heart. But more importantly, he wants you to see his heart. He wants to show you his heart. He wants to journey with you and help you discover his son and help you discover that in his son, you have everything you need. So as we prepare to receive communion, let's remember and reflect on the love of a father who worked through the details of history to lead his son, his one and only son, Jesus, whom he loves, on a journey to the cross. And let's remember the son who willingly suffered and died, laying down his life for us. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your son. Thank you for Jesus. And thank you um, that you work in our hearts and that you want to show us our hearts. And God, as you do that, as, as you show us things, um, reveal things to us, help us not to be defensive. Help us not to, to put up walls. Um, but God, help us to invite you in so that you can work in us. Teach us to trust and treasure you above everything else. Amen.